it's up to you and me to shine a guiding light and lead the way. United by our cause, we have the power to pursue what we believe. We'll achieve the realization of our dreams. Hello and welcome to this episode of New Horizons. Thanks for your company once again. I'm Vaughan Benison. For the time being, this will be our last episode in the series on people with multiple disabilities. There are some people that we've spoken to or been in contact with who uh, have offered to share their story. We would like to continue this series at a later date, possibly next year or sometime throughout the year in perhaps its own series. So don't uh, lose heart. We will be in touch with you. But keep in touch with new.horizons at bca.org.au if uh, you have multiple disabilities and would like to share your story. The final instalment this week in our discussion with Steve Richardson and Jonathan Craig. And if you remember last week, they were just telling us how, for them, fractures and bones take a considerably longer time to heal than they do for the rest of us. For me, uh, you know, as a child, this meant uh, long periods of time in a cast which is called a hip spiker. Steve, have you experienced hip spikers? I never actually got a hip spiker, but I know exactly what they are. Yeah, so basically it's a cast which um, uh, is usually used in response to a, a few different kinds of breaks. Um, and it forces you to be uh, in a – it disables the, the bending of the hip. So it forces you to be in a prone position for the length of your recovery from, from a break. Um, so, so six to eight weeks in my case because I was a small child in all cases where I was in one of these casts. But, of course, the implications of that, of being a person who is lying down for large, large periods of time, had vast, impl- had vast effects on, on the way I saw myself and on my independence, you know, because uh, all my peers were doing O&M throughout uh, that whole period of time and were learning and very mobile and active, whereas I was prone and uh, in a reclining wheelchair and, uh, you know, only had really movement of my arms and hands. Mm. Steve, it seems to me that, um, and, and you, you brought this up at a session that you ran at the, uh, you and Ricky ran at the convention last, uh, last year, it, it really depends on how you see independence, whether you see independence as being able to do th- things completely autonomously without any assistance from anyone, or whether you see independence as being able to do things without reflection or without uh, impact on your friends and family. I think it's all about the word independence. I mean, if you want to totally look at independence as a whole, nobody in the world is completely independent. Mm. We all have strengths and weaknesses uh, of various kinds. Now, um, like Jonathan, I have spent time in a wheelchair when I was going to school. I grew up, so I am familiar with having those kind of restrictions. Um, I just I had to um, understand that at that time I, I had certain level level of need that was above and beyond the just the vision impairment and like Jonathan I had to watch a lot of my peers do L&M things that I couldn't do fortunately for me I was able to do a lot of that later but I've also had to accept that there are going to be times when I won't be able to do that and like Jonathan I think I've I've come to rest pretty easily uh with the judgments usually they're they're um 
they're made by people who just don't understand and I don't particularly blame them. I haven't been through that. Um, what you do learn a lot, and Jonathan, you'll probably agree with this, you do learn to be patient. You learn a lot of patience because you've got a lot of time and the emphasis is always on trying to nowadays with um, bone conditions to try and get your mobile as quickly as you can. But sometimes when you're mobile, it might be, you know, for me last year, it was a four to six week experience on a walking frame because I couldn't wait there. So um, I, my figure is you just, you take independence in whatever form you can get it. I think a lot of people now understand that pain can have significant impacts on a whole lot of things, your physical well-being and also your mental health. And I imagine that at different times, both of you have experienced um, fairly significant long-term pain. How, do, how does that impact on you, do you think? How has it made you feel over time? Oh, that's, a, that's a really interesting question. Um, I think that it's probably – I probably have a higher tolerance to pain, possibly. It's hard to say. Sometimes when you don't have pain for a long time and you get it. I think my tolerance to – I remember one of, when I was a kid, I had several femoral fractures. Uh, I think they were probably the worst because it's a big bone. Um, especially if it was displaced and the bone was moving around. Uh, every, every time I used to really be quite anxious about wardies coming along in hospital because usually they were pretty rough and they didn't quite know what they were doing. And so your, they'd lift you and your bone would move and it would be incredibly painful. Um, I don't, while I certainly feel the same or similar pain as an adult, I think probably I've got used to dealing with it now a little bit better. I, I, while I still feel it, while it's still very uh, inconvenient and, and pretty pretty sore, painful, if you like the pun, um, I think over time I've probably learned to accept that that's just the nature of the beast. Uh, I think the ones that probably annoy me more are the ones I'm getting, the little ones I'm getting at the moment, where there is a, what they're calling a bone fleck, which is a very, very minor fracture what happened last time because the screws in the plate um, were damaged the plate was starting to move and it was starting to take some of the bone away with it and so it was a really little fracture that they they can barely pick up with an x-ray and even my gp was like oh i don't think it's anything and then we did a ct scan and of course the screws had fractured and there's a little tiny bit of bone moving and so you can be sitting here like i am now with no pain whatsoever but you get up and start moving around and you feel these sharp, stabbing, uh, annoying pains. And they are longer term because because there's nothing going on. They can't quite figure out how to handle it. It lasts for longer. A proper fracture will be very, very, very painful for maybe a week. Or, or, or even if they put a plate in like they have done or a nail in like they have done, usually the the displacement, the, the behaviour of the fracture will change and you won't feel pain when you move around like you did before and you will, but you will get surgical pain. But you know that that's going to go away. Mm. Uh, I think the pain that really gets to me more is the pain that they can't quite detect or that in my case they've just said, well, there's nothing more we can do. You're just going to have to wait it out. Steve, you're talking about um, this balancing act that you have to pull off. Um and this is something that I really identify with as well. And in terms of pain, one of the things, you know, for me, 
uh, one of the consequences uh, of my condition is that I have uh, dysplasia of the right hip, which means that the ball of the hip joint doesn't fit correctly into the cup of the hip joint. Um, and this is, you know, this is actually uh, honestly my main uh, kind of uh, Debil like cause of, of longer term pain uh, at the moment and eventually it will require me to to have a hip replacement um, and but um, what's interesting to me is you know and, and was frustrating when I first heard it um, was you know what my orthopedic surgeon said which was you have to be um, mobile enough to keep the joint active and keep yourself uh, strong so that the muscles support the joint, but don't get too mobile because that will deteriorate the joint further and you will need a replacement more quickly. Mm. So you're in this weird kind of uh, space where you you have to weigh up um, the, all your decisions about exercise uh, around the cost that they're going to have one of the things I probably should have should have mentioned before, Vaughan asked the question about how things impact your daily life, and you've touched mm. on this too. What, one of the things I constantly have to do, I am constantly assessing risk whenever I go mm. out, whenever I do, and this gets back to probably why I would sometimes use a support worker, as you say. Mm. Um, constantly the emphasis on assessing the risk, you know, if, for example, I'm going to walk to the train station and it's pouring with rain, do I do it? There's a level of risk. The level of risk goes right up. So mm -hmm. do I say, hang it, I'll get a taxi, or do I say it's not raining that hard, I'll give it a go? Yeah. That's a constant, and it's a constant gamble too because with that comes the higher, you know, you, the, with, with higher risk comes higher chance of an accident. And you never quite know, even on the best of days, you can have an accident. And that yeah. is acceptable. You deal with that. But if you, what, where the, I think for me, where, where I start to feel a bit, where it gets difficult for me is if I know that I have had an accident when I probably could have lowered the risk uh, and not and and done and taken and not taken the chance, and then that's when I probably feel a little bit. Yeah, you know, getting a guide dog for me was an incredibly um, challenging thing to do, and it's not one I regret by any measure. Mm. But the 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 odds were sort of in some ways stacked against me. Um, in the way that they were training me. And I could see it coming. I could really see it the way that I was being trained to toilet train. Uh, the position in my yard wasn't great. I could see it coming and I could almost predict that it was going to happen days before it did. And it was, I went ahead with it anyway. And as I said, there were things that I got out of that that I don't regret. Yeah, you're right. It is a constant balancing act and a constant assessment of a daily risk about do or don't do. That's one of the things that I, I really want to get across to people with this series on multiple disabilities is just how the two disabilities interact with each other mm. to form something that those of us who are just blind or vision impaired really can't comprehend. Any person who is blind or vision impaired is making those kinds of decisions to some degree about what kind of situations they are willing to put themselves into, what kinds of risks they're willing to take. But I think that they make those decisions kind of unconsciously a lot and don't uh, really 
see um, the impact that the that that making those decisions has on them. I think that you know our extreme example and Steve's and my example is an extreme example uh, is kind of an example that may reveal to other people the kind of risk assessment decisions that that they are making as well, which are you know the risk is less, but the the decisions are still decisions that they're making. They're still going through that same process. Steve, before we finish up, what would you say is the best thing about having a multiple disability? What Jonathan and I go through has helped us build character. Uh, It's helped us deal with levels of adversity. It's helped us become probably a little bit more flexible when you know, because when you when you fall and have a fracture, you have to be pretty flexible. You have to pretty much stop everything and change everything to recovery mode. That's that's you know without any warning. Some days, so that builds flexibility. I think the other thing it builds it's built for me, Vaughan, is um, a sense of empathy. Um, or I, I like to think I've developed a sense of empathy towards other people, um, especially those who maybe. Not have may not have the same combination of disability, but they have other significant uh, impacting factors on, you know, blindness primary or even just other disabilities, not, neither of which involve blindness. Jonathan, what do you think um, you would tell somebody who is either or has either recently had a child with multiple disabilities or is acquiring a disability, another disability through ageing? There is always an approach that will work and you will find it through seeing your case as an individual case and not being influenced by the habitual solutions to problems that other people may use or suggest. Jonathan Craig ending our series there on people with a multiple disability. Don't forget the email list that Blind Citizens Australia has set up for people with multiple disabilities. If you're interested in that, get in touch with the BCA head office and they'll inform you as to how you can subscribe to that email list. You can call 1800 033 660. 1800 The email address is bca at bca.org.au. In the meantime, I'll talk to you again next week. We'll achieve the realization of a dream of our dream.